Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needed. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Thanks, Micah. Look at that. Serving in kids, sliding out, reading scripture, sliding in. That a boy. Good morning, church. Um, my name is Brett, and I am one of the elders here at Risen North, and I am honored to get to spend some time with you this morning. Um, there are uh, four months out of the year, really five, but one of them is December and it's Christmas Eve. So four months out of the year where there are five weeks, five Sundays. And so for a little while now, we've been using that fifth Sunday uh, to be Missions Sunday, right? Kind of focusing in and highlighting on what the Lord is doing in and through Risen Church through our covenant members, uh, both locally and globally. So um, we're going to do some of that this morning. Back in kids, they're um, writing letters to one of our uh, missions partners. And so at the end, I'm going to go a little shorter today. Right, that's a good thing, right? Um, so that we have some space at the end to, to talk about that. Um, we're also in part two of a three-part uh, kind of vision series, if you will, um, on doctrine, discipleship, and devotion. Um, and so, like, what, what a great time uh, to be able to refocus and center, right? Because we just did this kind of tiny little thing uh, where we moved into a new community and bought our first home, right? That's no small thing. Um, and so, in my experience, um, anytime you go through like major transition like that, it is so crucial and so important um, to highlight and to focus on your vision, right? Your, your purpose, because it's our purpose um, that, that is, is centering, right? It's our why um, that, that keeps us grounded as all of the things start to come at us, right? And it's so easy to get uh, overwhelmed and to get lost in all of the, the new stuff, all of its good stuff, um, but it's so easy to just get overwhelmed in that. And so it is our vision that grounds us, that keeps us on track, that keeps us true to who we are as all of that comes at us. All right, so if you will, this morning, um, will you pray with me um, and please pray for me as we jump in to what God has for us this morning. Father, I am so grateful for um, just this opportunity to sit in this room with these people. God, thankful for your sovereignty um, in, in, in orchestrating 
the story, the biblical narrative, and then orchestrating these stories in this room and this story in this moment right here this morning. And so God, I pray that um, your spirit would move in this place um, in, only, in a way that only your spirit can do. Um, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so our mission here at Risen Church North, who knows, who knows our mission statement here? Right. Can anybody can can anybody tell me our our mission statement? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good. I knew y'all knew it. I knew it. Well done. We are we we are all about making disciples because he lives. I I grew up in the church, right? So I've been uh, uh, in church my whole life, apart from a little four year hiatus in college, which is another story for another day. Um, but I've been in churches my whole life, and I've moved around quite a bit, also. Um, and so I've attended several different churches. Uh, over the years. And so this week I went back and spent some time Googling several of those churches to see if they had mission statements and to see um, what they were about. And it turns out like if you do that, all church websites look a little different, but they're basically the same, right? They, they all have an about us tab. Some of them call it a who we are tab um, that lays out that church's vision or mission um, along with their core values and core beliefs. And every single one of those churches that I went back and looked at had one thing in common. They all had discipleship or some form of making disciples found in their mission statement or in their vision statement or in their core values. And I'd be willing to bet that you could do the same thing uh, and, and look back at any gospel-centered uh, New Testament church that you've ever been a part of, and you're gonna find the same thing, that discipleship is at the core of who the big C church is, and, and it has been from its origination. And that's why you see it as the core of churches today. And so in the time that I have this morning, I wanna to look together at that early church in Acts chapter two and, and see what this idea of discipleship is, why it's at the core of the makeup of the church and what that means and looks like for us right here, right now, making disciples because he lives. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. Uh, it's the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. That's, that is his account of Jesus's life and ministry on earth, his death and his resurrection. That's, that's Luke's part one. The book of Acts is Luke's part two. Um, and so we're going to be in chapter two and we pick up with, with what Jesus said earlier in chapter one would happen. Something that he said would happen, happens. Uh, the scripture says that there were about 120 uh, brothers gathered together in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, which is actually, it's a pilgrimage feast, right? So there would have been actually thousands of extra people there in Jerusalem at this time who had made the trek to participate in that feast. And then it, the scripture says this miraculous thing happens. A, a sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the city and the Holy Spirit fills these brothers and they begin to do exactly what Jesus said they would do. They bear witness, verse 11, chapter two, telling the mighty works of God in all different languages, never spoken before, so that the people from all different nationalities could understand each in his own language. That would be wild, right? That would be wild. Like what if I just like, change languages right now. And, and like, you're just like, 
what? Like that would, anyway, that would be crazy, right? Um, and then Peter steps up and delivers what is uh, like, just apparently crushes his, his message. He delivers this sermon and the scripture says that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine the logistics of doing church, right? If we had 3,000 people come and get baptized, like that would be mind-blowing too. Um, and so Peter presents the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves in a mighty way and thousands of devout Jewish people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And then what do they do? Right? Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 46, Micah read it beautifully. It says, and they devoted themselves, this newly baptized forever changed group of people devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there are four things right there that we're gonna come back to in a second, right? And so what then happens because of those four things? Verse 43 says, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's the church. You see it? They, this group of people who is in their case, uh, who in this case hear the good news of the gospel through Peter's witness, they begin a new life by establishing these new sets of habits, a new way of doing life together in light of Jesus's example. And Luke lists four habits or life rhythms and they devoted themselves to, that they devoted themselves to that, like, I wish I had time to define and unpack each one, but I don't. So here they are quickly. Um, they devoted themselves to first the apostles' teachings. So they are learners. They are letting their minds be remade with a whole new story. Number two, the fellowship. So they are sharing their lives. They are sharing their stuff together. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They are investing in relationships with each other. And then four, they devoted themselves to the prayers. They are doing all of this in response in worship to Jesus. And the scripture says they gathered together in both large and small gather, large gatherings in the temple uh, and in small gatherings in their homes, devoting themselves to this new way of life. That's church. So for the rest of this morning, we're gonna camp out on what Luke says first and foremost, the apostles teaching, which is what I believe to be foundational to the rest of the list and to the rest of the life of a believer in Christ, okay? So what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, it means that they are learners. They're learners. They committed to a life of learning. What are they learning? What is the apostles' teaching? Well, Peter, in the first part of chapter two, he presents the gospel, right? Like he tells the story of Jesus of Nazareth, of his life, his death, his resurrection, establishing that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That's the gospel. It is an announcement of those events and what they mean. 
that Jesus, by entering the world, both fully God and fully man, bears the full weight of all sin, past, present, and future, yet is himself sinless and is killed to serve as a sacrifice for those sins. But he defeats death, raises, rises to life again to return to the Father and to bridge the gap for all of mankind between man and God. That's the gospel. That's not the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is teaching that helps explore the million and one implications of that announcement. See, the people in this story, they didn't have the New Testament written like we do today. They, they were the New Testament. They were living out in real time, the New Testament. And so in the same way the life of a Christ follower starts with experiencing the gospel and believing and trusting in Jesus, that is just the beginning, both the foundation and the launching point for a lifetime of living in the new, completely different, completely changed heart, mind, body, life. That's the apostles' teaching that the early church devoted themselves to. And the gospel, like the gospel is really pretty simple, right? Like we teach it to our kids. We, 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 they put it on cubes so that we can go to other parts of the world and present it in two minutes and to in any language, to any people. But it takes a lifetime to retrain your mind about who God is, about your own identity, about that the, the, the son of God loves you that he gave his life for you and that you matter and that you have a story. You are a part of a community of fellow believers that need your story. Like it, it completely reshapes how you view everything, how you view relationships, how you view money, how you view sex. It, re, it, it changes everything, your entire worldview. And it takes a lifetime to learn that to its depths. Every time I say the word learning, this is what I'm saying. Yes, it is, it is book learning and it is knowledge, but it's also how the gospel reshapes every facet of our lives. It's, it's exactly what Sean talked about last week, right? It, it, it's doctrine and culture. It's both and. Devotion to the apostles' teaching Devotion to a life and a lifetime of learning tops Luke's list because it is the foundation that all else is built on. The, the, this learning that we see here in Acts 2, although it doesn't use the actual word, is discipleship. It's the apostles making disciples and the body of believers being disciples. Uh, so like I said before, just about every gospel-centered New Testament church out there today is all about making disciples. The word disciple is, is actually a pretty churchy word, right? We don't just use that word in everyday language. Um, and when we use it in the church, it sounds kind of intimidating, right? Like it's, it has this, this connotation of, uh, of being this heavy, intense, like probably some type of serious meeting that happens or series of meetings that happen one-on-one, -on -one, but really... Like, it's not that scary. It just means to be a learner, to be a learner. So to be a pupil or a follower of the teachings of another. The Greek word for disciple is the word mathetes. Say it with me, mathetes. Right? Come on, do it again. Yeah, good job. All right, 
Um, so it, it, it's probably the most well-known and often quoted scripture about discipleship uh, it found in Matthew, at the end of, of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 28. This is Jesus after his crucifixion and after his resurrection, not long actually before the events that we read about in Acts, is Jesus appearing to his 11 closest followers and, and, he, and Jesus gives this command, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. A lot of us know it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make what? Yes, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the Greek word that Jesus uses here is actually not mathetes, it's the verb form matheteo, which is, you hear the, the, same, the similarity there, right? The same root word, um, but matheteo to matheteo is to become a learner of, to commit yourself to learning something from someone. Now that we can relate to in our culture. Right? Like this idea is not particularly religious at all. This happens all the time. You learn things from people at work all the time. You teach things to people at work all the time, right? Like raise your hand if you have never, if you have not spent at least one hour of your life on YouTube trying to learn something. Like nobody in here can raise their hand. We've all been there. I, we were there this morning trying to learn how to use a coffee grinder for crying out loud. But, it's not, it's, it's not that scary, right? Um, but becoming a disciple is simply that, is becoming a learner. And then with that, we come right back to Acts chapter two. And so one of the primary roles of the church following the model in Acts two is facilitating gatherings and environments, both large and small, where people are learning a way of life and a new way of thinking together as a result of teaching. So we are first a learning community who is establishing habits and rhythms together that culminate in the praising of our God and worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not that complicated. That's the church. So then what are the implications of this for us here today at Risen Church? Like what, what does it look like to make disciples because he lives? I'm gonna kind of put that back on y'all by asking and talking through a couple of two or three questions and then we'll be done. Okay, the first is who? Who are the disciples in a church community? Who is called to make disciples? First, I can tell you who it's not, okay? It is not reserved for the people who are put together. It's not reserved for uh, the, the, the people who have been in church their whole life, for the, the super Christians, if you will, right? It's, it's not reserved for the elders. It's not reserved for the deacons. So if not, who are the disciples in a church? In, in this church, it's anyone who identifies as a Christian. Anyone in this room who declares that they are a Christ follower is a disciple. We talked about it earlier, right? The gospel is both the starting point and the jumping off point. Anyone who has responded to the gospel and is remade and is for the rest of their life remaking their minds to be like Christ, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, are all disciples. 
We are all daily learners of this Christ-like way of life. We are all in different spots in our journeys, but we all have something to offer. Which leads me to my next question, when? Like at, at what point in a Christian's life does discipleship and making disciples happen? Some of us in here, you may be, you may be new to the faith, okay? Or, or you, may be, uh, you may have been around church your whole life or for a long time, uh, but are just now really like committing to being in it for real. You have a place. You are a disciple. You may not feel like a good one, right? But that's okay because the people who you think are good ones, I promise you, are not nearly as good as you think they are. And so what does it mean for you to become a disciple? Well, you're doing it right now. You're, you're, you're in here. You are learning. You are being a disciple. Come to Risen Introductions, right? Come to the next membership class and learn about doctrine. That's being a disciple. Come to Women's Equip. That's being a disciple. Come to Men's Breakfast. Jump in, get involved. That's being a disciple. And then when do you start making disciples? Sorry, but the time is now. Like the time is now. You have a unique story to tell. It may be, it may be a hard story that's full of stuff. It may be a plain story but it is uniquely yours and you are uniquely Christ's and he has done a work in and through you. And that is worth telling. And the Holy spirit can and will use you as you tell that story to make disciples in that way. And then some of us uh, in this room have been walking with the Lord deeply for some time. Like we would, we would say that these are people who are mature in their faith. And, and, and for, for you, something shifts. There, there's a shift toward an others-focused mindset. Remember, in the context of the church within the church body, it's about seeing the church through that lens so that we think about the church less about like helping me grow and offering things that will help me grow, which is still important, but more about how can I contribute to the mission of making disciples here. That could be leading in different capacities, in kids or in students. It could be on stage using a creative gift that the Lord has given you. It could be simply proactively connecting with people in the room on a Sunday morning who you've never met before and who clearly have never been here before or have been here for a few times and don't know anyone. That is part of making disciples. So some of us in here are new to the faith some of us are mature in our faith, but I promise you, none of us have arrived. We all have a part to play in making disciples. And the last question, where? Where in our church does making disciples happen? Now, this question may be the, the prickliest one, um, but I pray that what I'm trying to say comes across clearly and that if it lands a certain way with you that we can press into it and talk through it. So I've been an elder here now for almost three years and I'm not speaking for the others, uh, for the other elders, just for me. But one of the things that I've found to be most difficult to navigate and figure out as a church leader is what we would call the offering of services, right? Some might call it the, the church programming, but basically it's figuring out what it is that we should do 
as a, as, a, as a church, what we can do as a church, like trying not to do too much, trying not to do too little, uh, trying to give the right program to the right people. Like we know that we are tasked with facilitating both large and small gatherings where making disciples happens, which I believe that we are doing uh, by no means perfectly, but we are thoughtfully and prayerfully doing that. But what is so hard to figure out and like I'm wondering if it's actually just impossible uh, to figure out is programming those deep, intimate, personal connections, be it with men and men, women and women, couples and couples, families and, and families. We, we as elders believe that those deep connections and relationships are so important to the lives of believers. So to, please, please don't miss, hear me here. But so often in the church world, we are, uh, uh, people get frustrated, right? And we are not exempt from this. People get frustrated with the church because they have this expectation that the church is supposed to create that for them or make that happen for them with a particular program or a certain ministry. And they come to church for a period of time and they get frustrated and they leave when that doesn't happen. But I just don't believe that that is the church's responsibility. Likewise, oftentimes people get frustrated with the church because they think the church ought to be starting certain ministries and, and doing certain outreach things. And, and those people are not wrong either. But if you spend, so I mean, like, if you spend any time studying the life of Jesus and his teachings, if you have any inclination to follow his example and keep his commands, you will be compelled and called to action to serve and support the poor, the orphaned, the widow, the least of these. As a follower of Christ, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it will happen. It's what the disciples of Jesus should be doing in their community and in communities around the world. We, like the leaders of the church, can do that only to a certain extent with limited capacity, right? So please, please, as the church, as the body, right? As, as the body of disciple-making disciples, go and do that as the Lord leads you, right? Don't wait on risen church to do that for you. Don't, it, it, don't, don't expect risen church to do that for you, right? Like, so remember, this is part of a vision series. So uh, part of an effort to refocus on who we are at our core. So I think it's a great opportunity to remind you quite literally who we are as a church staff. We have three full-time employees. Sean, Zach, and Jelana. We have one part-time employee, Melissa Peterson. And then we have four lay elders. And that's it. So if, if someone says, like, Risen Church should do blank, uh, the, the only people who are not like, strictly volunteer church members that are tasked with making blank happen are those three and a half people. Melissa's not a half person. Do not tell her I said that. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? That's it. That's it. So please, please hear me correctly here. I'm not trying to make an excuse for where we fall short as a church organization and as broken, messy people leading the church. I'm just trying to achieve clarity for us in a time of transition, right? Where, where we've moved into a new space, into a new community with new requests and opportunities and needs coming in all directions. Clarity for us around what we're trying to do, our program as the church and what should just happen. So where you go as disciples of Jesus Christ is where discipleship 
happens. It will happen as a result of programs facilitated by Risen Church, and it will happen as a result of the people of Risen Church North, the disciples in the, excuse me, in this church acting on and being who God has created them to be. So, final question. What are you doing to actively be a disciple here at Risen Church North? What are you doing to actively make disciples as part of this local body? And if you're a visitor here, what are you doing? What does it look like for you to be a disciple and to make disciples in a local body? Amen? That's it. That's what I want you to think about as we leave here today. So, like I said at the beginning, this is a fifth Sunday and a missions Sunday. And so we are going to hear from two different folks uh, about two different ministries that God is using to add to his kingdom and, and using to make disciples. And um, I think it's pretty cool. It's worth mentioning that, like, even before I, like, before I wrote all this, like, we had this planned out. And, and what we're going to hear from today is uh, one is a, is a way that we, Risen Church, are systematically uh, supporting uh, a, a group, an organization, a, a group of people. And then the other is an example of just one of us, like acting on who God has created them to be and what God has placed on their heart, uh, apart from any church programming. I think that's pretty cool. So uh, the first is our ministry partners, Jill and BJ Sanders. Um, Jill and BJ moved their family to Papua New Guinea in January of 2014, and they are still there, right? They, they literally have their hands to the plow and they've immersed themselves in this unreached people group called Wantakia, the, the Wantakian people. And they've, they've learned their language. They are creating a written form of that language that did not previously exist. And now, this is crazy, they are translating the Bible into the Wantakian language so that these people have the scriptures. That's amazing. And so um, we as a church, we've been supporting them financially. We've sent care packages and we continue to pray for the, the Sanders family, the, the kids. There they are, there they are. Uh, we are the Sanders, your missionaries in the Wantakia tribe of Papua New Guinea. And it's just the three of us this weekend. Uh, Jill and our 13-year-old daughter, Olivia, are out in town for a youth retreat for missionary kids. So that's really exciting as we see that this right here is our number one ministry with these kids. And um, yeah, we see that God is doing an incredible, an incredible work among the Wantakia people too. And uh, we're always praying, like Psalm 90 says, that he would establish the work of our hands and that he would be gracious to us and help us. And we're definitely seeing that. We told you about our friend Yedas last time who had to leave here and go to town. And we were so bummed about it. He's such a faithful worker out here with us, uh, co-laborer. And, but we didn't know what the Lord was doing. And so he went out there uh, to work. And there's this whole settlement of Wantakia people who have never heard the gospel. And he went down there and he said, well, guys, what do we want to do? Are we going to learn God's talk? And so they all said yes. So actually, it, it became two groups. Um, on one side of the plantation, there's one group, and then there's another group on the other side. And so for the past three, four months, he's been teaching. Monday through Thursday, he walks an hour to the other side of this place and teaches one group. And then the other group he lives with, he teaches them Friday through Saturday, through Sunday. And so... Guys, this is so exciting. While we were all celebrating Easter, while we were celebrating the death and resurrection of our Savior, this group was hearing 
the gospel for the very first time. And we just got the report last week that there are 30 new believers, 30 mm. brand new believers. These are Wantakia people who had never heard the gospel before. And so just thanks for celebrating with us for this new uh, little church. We had no idea that um, God was sending out our first church planner, our first missionary from here. And um, it is just so exciting. And so on that, that very day, there were, we had an Easter service. It was awesome. And then we said, okay, we're going to the river. And 20 more people here got baptized. And so we are just seeing God's faithfulness uh, to build his church. Um, this place was an unreached people group just three years ago. And since we've gotten to share the gospel the first time, uh, his message keeps going out of hope. And so thank you for being a part of that. Thank you so much for the care packages that you send, um, all your kids that send pictures and the way that they're praying for us. Uh, thank you for praying. Uh, thank you for those of you who support uh, the church planning effort out here in Wantakia. And um, yeah, just please keep praying for us, uh, your missionaries, pray for strength and endurance uh, in our marriages, our families, our team dynamics out here. Um, we know that Satan doesn't want this work to continue, so please keep praying for us. And also, if you want to take part in the joy and partnering with us to see this church um, continue to grow, yeah, just pick up one of our prayer cards and, uh, or just talk to Andrea and Andrea Poole. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you more. Thank you, church, and um, happy Fifth Sunday. How cool is that, right? So when you, when you go get your kids today, uh, ask them about that because they are writing letters to the Sanders family. Um, we have information, I think, out at the, the connect table about them. Uh, and then everybody all at once should go ask Andrew and Andrea about it at the same time. Um, Mark, come on up. So the next person that we get to hear for, which I'm super excited about, is Mark Weaver. Um, Mark is a covenant member here at Risen and has been a part of a ministry called Kairos Prison Ministry, I say it right, mm -hmm. yep. uh, for over 10 years, right? Talk about not waiting for the church to do something. He is getting after it, right? I know I just said prison ministry, don't get scared, don't get glazed over, right? If anything- He stole my joke. I did, that, he told it to me, I took it from him. But if anything, like th this, this is the Lord using somebody in this body to do mighty things, right? So I'm just super excited to hear from you and what God is doing in your life through this ministry. So tell them. Thank you, Brett. Um, I said, my name's Mark Weaver, <clears throat> excuse me. And Kathy and I, we've been members, covenant members here for since 2019. And one of the things we just love about this community is that we see your guys' heart for discipleship and for missions. And so you know, often when we, we think about mission, we think about like, what, what the Sanders are doing, you know, or we think about drilling water wells in, or building churches in Central America. I mean, that's the first thing that sort of comes to mind. Well, you know, the ministry I'm involved in is like, is super local. It's also international. Uh, Kairos Prison Ministry is in uh, over 500 prisons, both in the United States and internationally. Here in Texas, we're in about 50 about half of the units, about 50 in all, in both men and women's institutions. Um, back in uh, 2013, um, I was invited to go inside the prisons and uh, to help build this community of believers. And of course, my, my first reaction was, 
no way. I am not <laughs> doing that. That's crazy. But um, the Holy Spirit just sort of worked on me over a couple weeks, and I finally agreed to go inside, inside the prison walls. And I'll tell you, my life has changed forever. I knew um, when Brent uh, mentioned prison, I'm sure some of you all's eyes glazed over, as he said. Y'all already started thinking, huh, what are we going to do for lunch? You know, so, and I don't blame <laughs> you. You know, um, it is, uh, that was my first reaction. Um, but, um, however, through this prison ministry, Jesus has taught me who my neighbor is. He has changed my heart um, and given me just compassion for this really underserved population. And he showed me that these men are just not that different than me, just but for the grace of God. Um, so anyway, um, the purpose of Kairos is to plant a church. We want to plant a church inside the prison walls, and we want to make disciples. Uh, and it's only, we can only do that through the transforming love of Jesus Christ. Um, we, uh, over these weekends, and we go inside twice a year for these weekends, we invite 42 participants to come in. We call them men in white because their uniforms, they're not striped, they're all in white. So men in white, and I guarantee you when they get out, they never wear white again. Um, <laughs> to come and participate in these three and a half day weekends. Um, during the Kairos, we do a series of talks, we have discussions, we do med uh, meditations, sing, sing songs. I mean, let in the, we have a, a music team that's led by a, a team of vol volunteers. Then uh, we establish these table families, and these are both men in white and participants uh, that just talk about the talks, uh, they draw posters, eat together, and through this process, a Christian community starts to form. Um, many, for many of the participants, they weren't Christians coming in, but the process d develops a desire for them to become Christian. And then for others that may have been Christian or called themselves Christians coming in, it creates an opportunity for them to grow their faith. Now, I could share a ton of stories about how Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit uh, transform men right before my eyes, but I really only have time uh, to tell you one story. So this particular weekend started, you know, as normal, except one of the participants was particularly late showing up. So as we were waiting for him, because we never start until everybody's there, uh, we were talking with the other men, eating tamales, just having fellowship. And then Case showed up, and the whole room changed. See, Case was one scary-looking dude. He was huge, and he was covered from head to toe with some really disturbing tattoos. Um, he announced very loudly that he didn't want to be there, that he was only there because the warden made him, and that um, the only reason he agreed is because of the homemade food for the weekend. I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting weekend. So I'm going to skip to two days later when Case shared his story. See, Case was, uh, sorry, 
I always get a little teary on this. Uh, Case was uh, the child of crack addicts, and he took to the streets when he was five years old. Um, by the time he was eight, he was doing drugs and alcohol, eight-year-olds, and uh, soon ended up in the juvenile justice system. He got out and immediately almost committed manslaughter and was serving life in prison. So by the time the weekend had started, he'd been in prison almost 20 years. And he, what he told us is in that 20 years, he'd never touched another person except in violence. So Chase just never had a chance. As he was telling us his story, he was weeping. See, Case had just given his life to God. Hmm. He asked for forgiveness. So, shortly after that, a few of the volunteers and some of the participants came around him and just started hugging him. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. You know, from that point forward, you could see Case hugging people, laughing. You know, only God could have changed Case's heart. So I've always told people, if you want to see the Holy Spirit just work in real time, oops, work in real time, come work a, a Kairos weekend. Um, you know, the Kairos weekend is just a completely unique experience. But those three and a half two weekends is just a part of the Kairos program. Every week, we have a volunteer that goes back into prison to help facilitate prayer and share. See, you know, because like I mentioned, it's about making disciples, it's about planning that church. So we go in to allow them, allow the inmates to get together and share to, you know, come around and support each other, uh, to, you know, to fellowship. So, um, Actually, um, we have a weekend that is starting this Thursday. And so, uh, don't worry, I'm not asking for volunteers for this weekend. But I am asking for your prayers, because Kairos is a ministry of prayer. Um, please pray that these guys' hearts will be changed and that God will be glorified. So after, after the service, I'll be out in the lobby to answer any questions you might have. Um, and I would love for any of you all to consider serving in the future. And like I said, we're both in men and women's prison. Um, only male volunteers go inside the men. Only women volunteers go inside the women's prison. But we were, in, like I said, both men and women's prison. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. If you're interested, just know that your invitation to this comes directly from Jesus. So I'm going to read you a passage, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared, you for, you, kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, 
and you came and visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I'm telling you, the encouragement you could give these men is life-altering, and the experience will likely grow your faith in ways you never expected. Thanks. Thank you. Stay up here for a minute. All right, the band's going to come back up, um, and we are going to pray. But Mark, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for for being the church, for for being like a a living, breathing, walking picture of what it means to be obedient to God's call in your life and to be the church, the vessel that God is using to make disciples and for making disciples. So let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to keep worshiping. God, thank you, Lord, for um, my brother Mark, for the brothers and sisters that have come alongside him Um, to bring the gospel into places uh, that it needs to go. Um, Father, and thank you that your spirit uh, is so powerful. God, and your sovereignty is so good and so big that the same church that meets in Creekside is the same church that is meeting this morning in a prison somewhere and it's the same God, the same savior, the same spirit that is moving and that is capturing hearts, hearts that will spend eternity with you, Lord. And so we thank you uh, for your son that makes that happen, that makes that possible. We thank you for men and women like Mark who are sitting in this room or who are active across the world right here, right now. Um, It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.